Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? You are listening to the NBA Big Board Podcast. And in today's episode, Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft, even though he has on a Vancouver Grizzlies shirt today, we will discuss the biggest risks in the 2022 NBA Draft. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the NBA Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Got to make sure I get it right. The Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, your first listen of the day. I am your host, Rafael Barlow, a.k.a. I don't even have an a.k.a. I got to come up with one. But I know Mavs Draft is... Wait, what is your a.k.a.? Is it the... the hey, the Clipper. Oh, the Clip Man. That's what it is. The <laughs> a.k.a. Hey, you're the international guru. You know, yeah. you know, every international prospect, like, you know, every single player overseas that has touched a basketball in their life. That is a fact. Okay. International rock. I never heard this Bo Cruz kid, though. That was my first time hearing him, but he seemed pretty good. All right. So let's, let's get right into it. Today, we're going to talk about some of the biggest risks in this draft class. I'll let you go first, Richard. In your opinion, who is the biggest risk in the 2022 NBA draft? Man, I'm, I, this, is, this is just something you've heard every single week I feel like we record. I say this person's a risk. I have to start with him. Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. I think there's some red flags around his offensive game just really negating a bunch of his defensive prowess. I love his defense. I mean, he was the best defender probably in the conference last year in the Big 12. And... I uh, I just worry about it translating up to the NBA in full because of that offense. So very interesting. I know I spoke with you offline about it, but I had a scout from NBA team reach out to me yesterday. And uh, I, I won't go too deep into the conversation, but he had, I'd say, a list of 20 questions about Sohan. And it was some of it was like Intel, which I didn't know. I mean, I've never actually met him outside of this brief interview I did at the combine so I didn't know really anything about like his background or how he is as a person but I'd say maybe half of the questions were about him him as a player how would he fit how would he fit with their system and one question was if he doesn't make it if he doesn't succeed as an NBA player what would be my guess as to why. And my answer was pretty obvious. I think it's the shooting. I think that's the biggest swing skill for him. And if he becomes a reliable shooter, it opens up everything else that he has in this game. If he's not a good shooter, then the passing isn't going to really, you know, he's not going to be able to maximize his strengths there. And so, and I, I like Sohan. Like, I don't, he's not on my list as one of the biggest risks, but I, I totally get it from your point. And one of the comments I made to the scout was if the jump shot never translates or it never develops, then he's Andre Roberson and Andre Roberson probably doesn't survive in this era of the NBA. What are your thoughts on that? Like, or do you have like a, a worst case scenario comparison? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's pretty much it. The worst case is, along those lines and also just the lack of athleticism kind of scares me out on offense because it's so weird on defense you see that he's a very good athlete and I think in the open court too but in the half court just he doesn't explode off of pump fakes uh he doesn't 
finish above the rim very well in traffic despite good size. So that stuff's a little bit alarming to me, but the comparison I put for a worst case, very similar overall, uh, just an outcome is just Jared Culver. I I think you look at a bigger Jared Culver guy who didn't blow by guys, had good skills everywhere, was a very good defender, but just couldn't put it all together to make a meaningful impact. I think being 6'9", Helps Sohan a lot more, though. Culver was like 6'4", 6'5". It's a big notable difference, but uh, just similar play style. Yeah, and I think at least I feel like Sohan has a, a – at least he has a defined skill set as a defender, if you consider that a skill set. Now, whether or not it allows him to be effective in, like, the playoffs, if, let's say, you know, he's on a team in the playoffs – it, I mean, is his offense good enough to allow him to stay on the floor and be an impactful defender? So, but yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. He's one of your biggest risks. Mine is, I'd say my first one is Chet, Chet Holmgren. And I, I say that just because it's tough to compare. And I, I know everything that he brings to the table. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about Chet. We've talked about him extensively before. Um, I do think there are some concerns about um, his best position and who he can defend. I think he's going to be a good team defender, but I think that he's Marcus Camby with a jump shot. Now, Marcus Camby had a long career. I think he played like 100 years (laughs) and, uh, you know, one of the best rebounders and shot blockers of his era. But at number one or number two, I'm not sure. But let's talk about the guy that I think is one of the biggest risks. And it's not because of his playing style. It's probably more so because of his medicals. It is A.J. Griffin. A.J. Griffin is phenomenal shooter. Now, here's a question for you before I go too deep into mine. Did you think he was this good of a shooter coming into college basketball? Nope. And the first game I watched, I saw that base. And I go, what in the world? How is he even going to shoot like 35%? And then until I think mid-February, he was shooting 50% from three yeah, on and decent I, sample size. Yeah, and I felt like if he got the ball in the corners, he didn't miss. He was automatic. And he ended up shooting like 45% from three. So on one hand, I, I, I'm i buying the upside, but it's the medicals that scare me. And there's another guy that I think you'll probably talk about later who I think his – medical history or his injury history is even more concerning, but he won't be as high as a pick. But I think with AJ Griffin, it's just all going to boil down to the the medicals. And so far, I mean, we are around seven, eight, maybe nine days away from the draft. My days are all kind of running into each other. So far, we haven't heard anything about his medical reports, which, which is a good sign. And But then again, you got to take it with a grain of salt, because if you do hear something, it could be a team that could be smokescreen or it could be true but i saw that i mean i'm a blazers fan so i saw dame lillard was at the blazers uh or he's at aj griffin's workout with the blazers it looked like he was really engaged with it also like like <laughs> i wonder if he's like keep him nah if you take him we we, we got to move him so uh general manager dame was, was definitely in the house what are your thoughts on aj griffin as a risk yeah i mean the health i think the positive thing, kind of what you said with we would have heard it by now, is look, he got healthier as the season went on. He never really regressed back towards that 
I think in the first month and a half, I'd say till just right before conference play in the end of December, I think you could tell he had come off an injury just by the minutes, just by the way he didn't put full force into a lot of his drives, didn't explode. And then I noticed in February, January, you start seeing him pump fake really fast explosion out of the getting his man in the air. And to me, that's a really positive sign that we kept seeing him only improve. We never saw him slow down, regress. And I want to emphasize again, I don't think there's really any major risk factors to his actual skill set. It's just the injuries is what could scare us. And I'm always scared of guys with lower body injuries that young. It's played a lot of players, but also doesn't always have to meet a death wish. Now, I could be wrong here but i don't think he's had any surgeries is that is is that is that true to your knowledge that's i don't know i don't want to speak to it uh as i'm typing i'm uh i'm typing yeah no i don't see anything his his sister had surgery that's all i found for aj griffin surgery yeah i yeah i don't think he had any any like surgery so that and that's a positive. All right. Before we get into the next round of prospects that we think could be risky, we got big news. If you remember the words boom shakalaka, then you remember NBA Jam. The one and only NBA Jam is backed. Arcade One Up, the leader in at home retro arcade games, is not only bringing the best game ever back, but they've made it bigger than ever with a wait for it Shack Edition machine. So people are obsessed with NBA Jam and thrilled, and we are thrilled to tell our listeners that you can once again play hoops with NBA legends in this arcade classic, jump clear across the court, and set the ball on fire in one of the first sports games ever to feature real and digitized NBA licensed teams. No fouls, no free throws, no quarters required. Compete with friends and family through the all-new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. You can pre-order now from arcade1up.com. That's arcade, the number one, up.com. There's an estimated early September ship date. Arcade1up is the place for fun. They've got even more classics like Golden Tee, Mortal Kombat, and many others starting at just $399. Now check this out. Check it out. Listen clear. They are giving away an NBA Jam Shack Edition to a locked-on listener. Enter for a chance to win a game console for your very own man cave at arcade1up.com slash locked on. That is arcade, the number one, up.com slash locked on. You got to July 8th to enter to win the NBA Jam Shack Edition. Do not miss out. Enter today. Now, Richard, who are you going to play with? Dude, you know, I, I grew up a Magic fan. So, I mean, we got Penny. They always had options, like, Pen- I mean, Penny and Shaq. You also had Penny and uh, Nick Dennis, Anderson. Was Dennis Scott on there, too? I think so, because he was one of the sharp – he was such a sharpshooter. He had to be. I'm sure he had the fire, the fireball going. All right, shout-out to each and every person that has made the Locked on NBA Big Boy your first listen of the day. All right, now, Richard, who is next on your list of guys that could be a little risky? Yeah, I'll go down the board a little bit. We started probably top 10 prospects, but let's move to some guys that are at the end of the first, early second. I'll start with Patrick Baldwin Jr. He had a disaster of the last 12 months, I would say. He he was okay in the FIBAs, didn't shoot the ball very well, but it looked good and you were you could just account it to misses and just unluckiness. But given the sample size, I don't even think they played 10 games. So like, you know, you can't take a ton of takeaways from it, but 
for somebody who's crowned an elite shooter, he only shot 32% in FIBA and in college, it wasn't much better. And then he also had some injuries too. I don't know how much that actually weighs for, for all of that, but I mean, he shot 27%, 74% from the line. Those are alarming numbers. If you didn't know who he was, you would not be considering him a prospect given his size. And I know that's something we've talked about in the past, but just tested terribly at the, in athleticism at the combine really alarming last 12 months for him. Yeah. If his name is Patrick Banneker with his stats and <laughs> combine testing, we wouldn't even be talking about him. And not only were the numbers kind of rough, I'm more concerned about the injuries and you had mentioned the last 12 months. It might even be longer than that. Like he really hasn't, if you really take a deep dive into it, he hasn't played well since he was a junior in high school. So he missed, if I'm not mistaken, he missed almost all of his senior year, had a short stint at the under 19. And they say he even played injured there. Then they're saying that he wasn't fully healed during the season so if you're looking at that, and let's say that's the reason for the, the numbers uh, and the poor athletic testing. So now we're talking about just off of that alone, and he hasn't healed from a lower leg injury, I think it was an ankle injury, in two years. That's risky, very risky. So even if that is, the, like I said, the main reason for the decline, is it worth a pick? I mean, and then on top of that, like, I actually, I, I loved his jump shot at first. And then I took a little bit of a deep dive into it. It is a slow shot and he fades back. Like, I don't know if he gets it off over NBA defenses. Like there's a lot to be concerned about. He was crowned an elite shooter who I don't think he's an elite shooter on form anymore. I used to think it was the case, but I mean, that combination is scary. Shots about your best, or excuse me, concerns about your best skill plus injury history is a very dangerous red flag. And athleticism. Exactly. All, <laughs> so, that's a trifecta. Yeah. I, I don't have him getting drafted. I think he will. Wow. But if it were, I mean, like, I don't know why it's a shocker. Like, what has he done to be drafted yeah. in the last two years? If he gets drafted, it is based off of the reputation that he had when he was a junior in high school. Somebody's going to take a risk. Now, unless he shoots lights out in a in a workout, okay. But I think he is. I mean, I don't. Well, on one hand, he's not going to be a, a huge risk simply because I don't think he's going to go high. Now, if you take him with a first rounder, he's going to go. He's he's going to be risky. And then on one hand, you can say he's worth the risk because, you know, he's he's six ten and he's you know the measurables are good. And if he does end up being this shooter, but my thing is. If the skill set that you're supposed to hang your hat on and you're not an elite shooter, you haven't shown to be an elite shooter, then what what are you really bringing to the table? Yeah, and I, I don't personally see him going top 40. I'd be pretty shocked. So like, it's not that shocking now that I think about it, but it's just I haven't heard that anybody say it. Like, you know, every year there's a surprise undrafted player and – it's probably, I and mean, there's a good chance. Let me ask you this before we move on to the next person. I know this is a little bit of foreshadowing here, but who do you see is more likely to get drafted? Patrick Baldwin Jr. or Peyton Watson? Both. 
<laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. I mean, I think all both you... would get drafted. Um, Good answer. How you do your next one? Yeah. I mean, we can, we can go, we can go two in a row since we talked about Peyton Watson. Let's do it. What, what's, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll go to my risk about Peyton Watson. I, I think that it's the shooting for him, but it's a small sample size. Like, even though he may have X amount of games of experience this year, it's a small sample size. But he has the the physical tools. He has the intangibles that you like. I, I feel safer with selecting Peyton Watson over Patrick Baldwin Jr. Simply because, I mean, you don't have the injury history. I think with Patrick Baldwin Jr., you got a whole bunch of different red flags. With, with Watson, at least I know that he has the athleticism. And I know some people, you know, can say athleticism is – overrated or you know you can take somebody with skill or athleticism but I think with, with Peyton I think he's it's going to take a while I think he's going he needs to go to a team that has that has uh you know some patience in developing him but I would gamble on an athletic wing ball handler that I think can be a multi-positional defender over someone with an injury history and whose entire success is going to depend on the jump shot, which we think is questionable. So that's why Watson isn't that big of a risk compared to Patrick Baldwin Jr. At least in yeah, my and, and I put I, the only reason I also bring him up because I, I mean, I am very transparent about this take. I would not draft Peyton Watson. I would not want to be putting him on a two way. I'm very all the way out on him. I, I wasn't mm. a fan of him in the FIBAs. I. I I think he'll get it two way. I personally just would not want to be the team that issues it. I know it's such a minor risk. It doesn't really matter. It's just, a, it's, it's semantics at that point. But my thing for him is just like, he would be, I mean, I've seen him ESPN's most recent mock. They had him at 33. That is still to me a massive risk. When you look at the twenties and thirties have almost a similar success rate of NBA players. It's really not that far off at that point. That's a risk to me. Obviously it wouldn't be a guaranteed contract necessarily, but I would not be taking Peyton Watson that high. I just, I think there's a lot of concerns. I, I don't buy the shot at all. I think it, I, I don't think it looks that great myself. Um, but, you know, the production doesn't lie. I mean, the kid went, I think, a month without scoring, which scares me. It really yeah. scares me. Granted, there was a week shutdown of COVID, but <laughs> he went a month without scoring, like even three weeks without one point is very alarming. That's, that might be the craziest stat. And you know what's crazy? is that, and I, I get into this before we take a break, is that if you post that, I don't know if you've posted it, but if you've post that on Twitter, you have to be prepared for people calling you a hater. And it's oh, yeah. like, that's not been a hater. You just posted a fact. And it's, I mean, I just think it's the world that we live in. If you say nine so great things about him, and if you say he didn't score in a month, all of a sudden you're a hater and I've had people in my DMs making mild threats because I said something that was kind of critical about a player. Crazy world. Dude, there was a, there were nine games in a 20, a nine out of 20 games. And from November to actually evenly on the months, it was a three month span to February where he had zero points in a game. That's almost 50% of games where he had zero points. I, I that that blows my mind. I I've been a very vocal hater of Peyton Watson, and and I've definitely seen that. It's it's wild to me. 
And you know the thing that I I didn't feel sorry for prospects in a sense because I felt like college you pick where you go to school. You can't pick where you get drafted. College you pick where you go to school. You have an opportunity to study the coach, the system, who's coming back and the reason I give Watson the benefit of the doubt here is because everybody thought Johnny Juzang was gone. <laughs> and when Juzang came back after having a rough combine last year, I think it just really, really messed Peyton Watson up. And he probably should have went back to school. If he, well, maybe not UCLA, <laughs> but if he enters the transfer portal, he could, he could potentially, if he goes to, you know, the right system, I think he could have helped his draft stock. But now he took a risk by staying in the draft. And um, he's one of the riskier prospects, in, in your opinion. All right, we got, we got one more segment left, but let's talk about Rock Auto. And with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. So no need to go through the pointless and intimidating questioning about what type of car you have and what model and wait for the person behind the counter to order their parts on their computer. When you have the computer access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, you can save time and money using Rock Auto and no need to spend 30, 50, and even 100% for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership. Well, you can go to rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto's prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you can eat. Everything you could need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. This is Rafael Barlow. He's Richard Stamen. And we are talking about the riskiest players in this draft class. So he did a back-to-back with Peyton Watson and Patrick Baldwin Jr. And speaking of Patrick Baldwin Jr., Tankathon has him still going 20, which is crazy to me. No. Right. (laughs) So one of my riskiest players is the teammate of the guy that you had number one on your list. And it is Kendall Brown. And with Kendall Brown, I feel like the same stuff you can say about Jeremy, you can say about Kendall. Kendall, the percentages from three was a little bit better. You look at it on paper, 34% is pretty good. But I'm not a believer in it. (laughs) I think that he can develop into a reliable shooter, but the free throw percentage was only 68.9% from the free throw line. And he's such a reluctant scorer. And maybe he gets a coach like Nick Nurse that puts a battery in his back and charges them all up and makes him a little bit more aggressive. We saw that happen with Scotty Barnes last year. But Kendall Brown was just too unassertive for me. And, I mean, we know he's like a tremendous athlete, but I think he's a risk because his main skill set are his athleticism and it's passing. And if you can't shoot and if you're not a scorer, then I think it's hard to maximize your gifts as a passer, which I can say the same thing about Peyton Watson also. What are your thoughts on Kendall Brown? 
Yeah, I'm still a believer. I've got him a lottery grade uh, just because I think the defense is so strong. I think what separates him and Sohan, because they are very similar players, what separates them for me is that athleticism. I, I really do think Kendall Brown is a dominant athlete compared to Jeremy Sohan. And for me, he knows how to use it in the half court. Great off ball. I think he's the best cutter in the draft. And on top of that, like the passing drop off is not very far for me. I know, I know Sohan's a more traditional point guard in the way he runs the offense. Uh, Kendall Brown is more of a passer who has the ball, but you know, I, I think, I think the drop-offs from them are minimal. And even like you said, with the shooting, yeah, the 34% overstates it. He was scared to shoot a lot. The one positive out of that, though, is like, I'd rather it for, from a team's perspective, I would rather it be, Hey, like if you don't feel hundred percent confident in this, it's a slow like college basketball slow play slow, you know, find a better shot. I don't mind it. Now he's going to have to start getting comfortable and shooting under 10 seconds left on the clock and making offense. That's going to be where his game does or doesn't translate. Yeah. When I was at the combine, I spoke to a scout and we were talking about pro days and he said that, you know, he doesn't really care for going to them, but he has to go. And one of his comments is, if I go to a pro day, I can watch Kendall Brown shoot more shots in 20 minutes from three than he shot his entire season at Baylor. And looking at the numbers, he only attempted 41 threes all season, which is, you know, not a lot. 41 threes, 74 free throws. So if you combine his three-point attempts and free throw attempts, it is under like 120, which... To me, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. All right, so I'll, I'll name another risky player for me. And I guess I'd say this is high risk, but also pretty risky, and that is Trevor Kills. Trevor Kills is, I, he's one of those guys that just maybe aesthetically or visually, I just wasn't impressed by. I see a guy that's, what, he's 6'4", like 225 or something like that, on an 18-year-old body, which I think he may need to slim down a little bit. But I've heard people around him say that's just how he's built. Like, he can't, he can't help it. I don't see, like, elite-level athleticism. I don't see... Uh, a guy that's going to be able to finish in traffic. I don't see him as a good shooter. We're talking about 41, 31, 67 shooting splits. And yet some people think he's a first rounder. I'm just not. So I think one of the comparisons is Lugans Dort, but I feel like at least Dort was a better athlete. And I guess the comparison is based off body type and size, but Dort was like, a irrational confidence score at Arizona State. And then he transitioned into a defender, but he has the athleticism. And I just don't know Trevor Kills' role or the skill set that he can hang his hat on. Unless you think that maybe one day he could develop into like a Marcus Smart type player. But other yeah. than that, I, don't I mean, know. I, I think he's got the mold to be this kind of player. This is not a one-to-one at all, but Kyle Lowry, baby Kyle Lowry vibes and the way he just plays with so much energy. And you hope that just the mentality translates into more useful skills. I mean, Kyle Lowry for the most part, hasn't been the most efficient player in his time, but still has been a winning player. 
I don't think Trevor Keels has star upside like that, but some team might convince themselves to do so just to kind of address that first round part. Cause I, I think he will go first round. He's so young and teams will convince themselves, Hey, he has a Kyle Lowry mold or something like Marcus smart mold, something like that. But yeah, I mean, the jump shot is very far away. I think it has, I think you can fix it. It's not broken. Um, but like you said, the athleticism is going to be what makes or breaks his career. There are guys who can defend while not being great athletes. Can Trevor Keels be one of those guys? You watch him at playing a high drive, a high pick and roll, anything like that, and he's cooked. And, and to me, that's a big test of defensive athleticism and just overall defensive ability. And he doesn't pass that test, even though he is a bulldog on defense. And see, here's why I don't see him going first round. I'm looking at the teams at the back into the first round. Does Denver take him? No. No. Does Memphis? I don't it see him. It might. Um, Golden State? No. No. Miami? I don't think so. I think they probably would look for some scoring. They'll consider it. Dallas? That well, that's who ESPN. Sense. That's who ESPN mocked him to last. I just I don't like it, but yeah. Spurs, I think they get rid of those picks. Bucks. And so I think with teams yeah. that are that are going late in the first round, and from everything that I've been hearing, is they want like guys that they feel like can come in and play right away. That's why Andrew Nimhart is starting to get first round grades. That's why I've heard guys like Jake LaRavia are getting first round grades because some of the the teams that are pick, pack, picking at the back end feel like they are, you know, they can compete for a title next year. I know you can probably say that every year, but I feel like if you look at Denver, they can say, well, we get everybody healthy. We're a title contender next year. Memphis can say, we just will be a year older. We can compete for a title. Golden State is definitely trying to compete for a title. Miami can say, hey, if we, you know, get Kyle Lowry in shape and we get, you know, a couple pieces together, we'll compete for a title. Dallas has to be encouraged by making it to the conference finals. San Antonio, which, you know, that I don't think they're going to take that pick. Milwaukee feels like they'll be back. Philly may feel like they'll be back with a whole year of Harden and B. And so I think some of those teams are going to gamble on somebody that they think can come in and play minutes, you know, maybe 10 to 15 minutes right away. And that's why I just don't think Trevor Kills can. Well, all right, man, we got another show to do in a few minutes. That wraps up this episode. Once again, shout out to each and every person that has made the NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, check out the Locked On NBA podcast. We are possibly one game away from the conclusion of the 21-22 NBA season, and the Locked On NBA podcast will be there giving you all the insight and analysis from the last possibly one or two games left of the NBA Finals. So check it out. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow, Director of Scouting, NBA Big Board, Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft, a.k.a. The Clip God, and we are out.